Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored once again by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show takes you into the field, to the places where you have those aha moments and mastermind meetings that change your life or at least bring you closer to serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. So you may hear a bird chirping, a car driving by, a little bit of ambient noise from the conversation at the next table. When these breakthroughs happen, are you sitting in a soundproof office or a studio? No. You're out there meeting people having encounters, being pleasantly amazed by who this person is and what they have to share with you. And the nature of a mastermind conversation is when two or more people come together and the ideas and concepts they come up with are greater than the sum total of what each could do on their own. So there's sometimes you have that, oh, oh, because it makes you think of something and you can't wait for them to finish their thought because you've already inspired them. That is the motif of the Business Creators Radio Show. Today, I'm broadcasting to you from my sumptuous balcony here in Las Vegas, Nevada, known to some as the hottest city in America. And we have with us on the show, Dr. Alan Coleman. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He's a business development executive, speaker, and author. As CEO of the Closers Group, which is a business development advisory, Coleman has spent more than three decades helping law firms and professional service firms generate more revenue. In addition to a thriving consulting firm, Coleman co-founded and served as senior VP of Decision Quest, and previous served as presently, uh, previously served as president of the MCO company and litigation services, as well as the leader of a 5,600 employee public agency. He is also a professor of marketing at California State University, Dominguez Hills. His new book is called The Revenue Accelerator. The 21 Boosters to Launch Your Startup, Made for Success in Blackstone Publishing, which just came out. Okay, I'm, I'm going to have to leave because I'm definitely not worthy to be in this man's presence, and this is my <laughs> show. But anyway, let's bring him in. Dr. Alan Coleman, come on in. The weather's fine. It is great. Thank you so much. How hot is it? It's actually pretty moderate. It's like 94 degrees. Now, considering oh. that our humidity is very low, that's different from 94 degrees in, say, uh, Pennsylvania or SoCal. And I've, I've spent a lot of time in Los Angeles, San Diego, and those areas. So it's a different type of 94 degrees. In other words, it's uh, once you've been here for a year or two, you barely even notice it. Now, when we get to 125 degrees at high noon, that's a different story. I so, understand. And since I'm in the Los Angeles area in San Pedro, uh, I appreciate the comment. So today yeah. it's it's nice and comfortable and uh -huh. it's a good time to start walking the streets and growing business. Heck yeah. So we're going to be talking about some tips to help entrepreneurs make the leap from building to selling their product. Uh, but before we get into this, and I know you have a lot of stuff to share and we have some ideas that we want to cover here, some points you gave me in the green room that you'd like to dive into and we're going to get into all that. Tell us a bit in your own words. I read off your official bio. It's fantastic. But tell us a bit in your own words about something in your journey that has inspired you and brought you to where you are today, serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Well, there are probably a couple of things. Um, I like to tell the story of how I first uncovered marketing or discovered it. Okay. I was, I was age 16, and um, I was hired and fired from my first job on the very first day on the job. Congratulations. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> and with a, a Dairy Queen. And as you know, the Dairy Queen logo, if you will, is a swirled ice cream cone. Yes. And after not being able to swirl five or six cones and having to eat them myself, 
I felt this arm around my back. This gentleman said, son, you're not cut out to be a marketing person because you can't deliver the product. So that was my first exposure to it. And uh, it grew quite a bit over time. And uh, I've been working in, as you said earlier, in developing business and helping clients develop new business and uh, have been also mentoring for several years now, nonprofit organizations that have uh, entrepreneurs, startups. That's, that's fantastic. You know, I discovered entrepreneurship when I was living in an extremely rural area growing up and I wanted to have a grass cutting business, but there weren't even many yards, any many yards available. And I was thinking, what are the barriers to get in the way of entrepreneurship? Now, in those days, we didn't have the internet, but I was ready to make some money. Man, I tell you, when I became legally old enough to propel a motor vehicle with a driver's license, it wasn't so much because I wanted to uh, go cruising and such, although I did uh, have difficulty parking my 1988 Camaro. If you've ever driven a Camaro, you know how challenging it is to park those things. Sometimes you pull up in your driveway and you realize that uh, you still have like 200 miles to go, so you pull right back out again and uh, have another adventure. But anyway, I digress because I want a job and I wanted to be able to go out and make money. And I wanted to develop my own streams of revenue, streams of income. When I was in college at Penn state, I was pursuing my political science degree. When I wasn't uh, doing my term papers, I was looking at some of the early e-commerce websites that sold competition auto sound products. I was looking to build a mad system for my Camaro, which I ultimately did. And I was fascinated by this idea that the internet could be a medium for growing a business, establishing a brand, and capturing market share, although I wasn't quite thinking in those logistical terms yet. I wasn't thinking in terms of marketing. I wasn't a business major. I thought I was going to law school, and then, well, things changed. So what what we want to cover here today, as I said, are some tips to help entrepreneurs make the leap from building to selling their products. And the first thing I want to do is I want to lay a little bit of foundation through a few of the things I want to find out from you, sir. So the first is, what are some of the major mistakes that startups and new businesses make? And uh, what are some of the solutions that you allude to? Well, overwhelmingly in interviewing people for the book, both a lot of entrepreneurs, CEOs, marketing directors, uh, executives, college professors that I work with, Overwhelmingly, the single biggest mistake is somebody starts building a product or a service and they don't look to see if there's even a market for it. Right. And I would see that consistently when we interviewed people at the nonprofit, um, the South Bay Entrepreneurial Center, looking to help people grow a product or a service. And so the first thing people have to do is look at what the market might be for their product. And if there are competitors, are they coming out with newer products or services or their new ideas that might beat you to the punch? And, th- and that's one of the critical ones. Um, another mistake that we, and, and by the way, the, the only way we can help people with that is when we talk with them, or hopefully when people read the book or hear you know, your kind of programs um, that, that people understand that you've got to make sure there's a market before you invest time and money. and uh, make sure that it's development. In fact, we had a, a gentleman come in, this was five or six years ago, be interviewed for possibly getting our support at the nonprofit. And yeah. he came in with what looked like a stick. And by the time he got through describing it, it turned out to be an expandable metal pole that you could put a camera, uh, you know, a, a, a iPhone on the end of it and have a selfie yeah. stick. He didn't right. realize that there were already 20 products on the market. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so in other words, you uh, ran into somebody who thought they were inventing the selfie stick. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and my goodness. And he had been working, working full time, coming home at night and just working and working and working on this. In fact, he came in once uh, and we felt he wasn't coachable. And when he came in a second time, we said, well, wait a minute. Now there's a market. You haven't kept up with it. And that's that's overwhelmingly a difficult uh, problem. And, and another one that relates to that is. Many uh, startups believe that marketing is the same thing as selling. And as you know, they're not. Oh, no, no, no. Marketing helps you get found and selling closes the deal. Right. And trying to help people understand, okay, you've got a good product. It looks like there's a market for it. 
Are you ready to market? And if so, what do you have in your kit of experience that will help you market? And that comes to what we think is the third major mistake. And that is, you may have a great product or a service. You may have some financing available. There may be a market for it, but you don't have any relationships with people who are either in the business community, the social community that you might deal with, with business groups, with uh, industry groups, and great product, nobody to help you sell it or market it. And, and those are three of the, another problem that we see is uh, just such great confidence in what they have um, that when they go to market, they become emotionally depressed because there's nobody there to help them market it, introduce them, refer them, and so on. Yeah. Uh, a, friend, a, a, a friend of mine issued a challenge to his Facebook followers a month or two ago. And uh, basically what he said is, forget about warming up your audience. Get in 10 people's DMs and make them an offer right now. I challenge you. I dare you to do it. And the point he the point he was trying to make was he was telling his audience, stop screwing around, put it on the table, close the deal, get that money going and start making a difference. Now, I chimed in and I said, I said, sir, I agree with you. And I'm going to add that if folks up until now have not been doing the warm up work, if they haven't been hosting a podcast, interviewing people, if they haven't been going out doing podcast interviews, if they haven't been nurturing conversations, if they haven't been doing, laying all that groundwork, they haven't been building that brand and creating that that awareness through marketing, then they're going to be hard up for selling. So if somebody comes to you right now, like if I were to say, Alan, go to LinkedIn right now, go into 10 people's inboxes, make them an offer. You should be able to, right off the top of your head, think of 10 people where there's at least a 50% likelihood that seven of them would say either hell yes or tell me more. If you're not there, then there's a marketing issue. That's the best way I know how to describe it. And, and what you're talking about is, is basically, again, how do you approach people in initially? Right. Um, one of the other mistakes we make when people get through the process and now they actually have some contacts, they have to understand how to sell. And you don't start out by selling what you're actually, you know, there's a great IBM quote, don't sell what you have, sell what they need. And yes. you need to, I, I, even if you know what they need, you identify that early on in the conversation, and then begin to see if you can fit in the, the, the positives of your product or service and get them talking about how they would help. So that, that again, and you, you know this, in fact, you were talking a minute ago, you went to Penn State. I was across the state in undergraduate school at Lafayette College. Yep. And, yep. and I had uh, a job for, for two years, my junior and senior years, where every Tuesday and Thursday, I worked for this toy distributor. And our job was to, I drove a truck to deliver the toys, but which was fun. But we also, when people came in to look at toys, and these were smaller shops, smaller stores, it was up to us to sell them. And so what I learned uh, the hard way, because I was getting no commission at all, just driving the truck. But in meeting these people, when come in, I had to understand what their markets were. What were they, were they a little mom and shop or a mom and pop shop? Was this a drugstore that had a lot of other things that they're selling? Was it a, a larger store? Who was their, their, uh-huh. their marketplace and so on? How did they market and advertise? And I learned a lot just from making mistakes there. Fortunately, the owner of the company uh, kept me around. And uh, again, as you said, you er- you learn a lot every step of the way. Yeah. And I, and I also believe that, and uh, I'm quoting uh, Paul Ross, author of Subtle Words to Sell. And there's something that mm-hmm. he taught me a long time ago. He's, he's my, um, he's one of my own mentors in this area. And he said that there are basically three types of folks. There are basically three ways that, uh, you know, manners of thinking. You have to determine what which one you're dealing with in your messaging. There is what people say they want because in many cases they're socially conditioned that that's the A answer of what they're supposed to want. There's what they think they want because again, that same social programming has told them what they're supposed to be wanting. And then there's what's going to actually motivate them to take action, which may or may not be the same thing. Think, uh, think for example, uh, yeah, Alan, I don't know your uh, your personal relationship status, so I'm just going to say in general, you probably know somebody somewhere along the line who has continued to 
go out and mess around with some person who is really bad for them, who's just a complete lying, cheating, loser, asshole jerk. And it's yes. like, why are you, why, you, you, you constantly complain about this person, but you keep going back to them. Meanwhile, what about so-and-so here? You told me about them, and uh, and then you told me about your ideal person checklist, and they check off all the boxes. And the person will say, well, yeah, I know, but uh, I, they're just a friend. Like, what? What? You told me who your ideal person is. This person is your ideal person. Every single checkbox. And you're saying that you're friend zoning them while you're continuing to go back to this jerk who treats you bad, makes you miserable, and then complain about it afterwards? Well, well, right there, now you have to look at what is it that they say they want, think they want, versus what gets the response. There's something you're describing that, that I, I like to call overvalued relationships. Yeah. If it's in a business setting, you may not realize that the person is not only perhaps negative for you, but for your product or sales. And when people learn that you know this person or you this person is helping you, uh, it may have a negative impact on how you use what assets you do have. And, yeah. And it's, it's difficult. One of the things that we strongly suggest is that before you go out and make a pitch, or even if it's for a, an existing client and you want to introduce something new, you practice it. Practice. We even say practice lunch. If you're going to a luncheon meeting, practice what you're going to say, what the agenda uh -huh. might be, and, and so on. And so if you find that you're getting negative feelings from this knowledge or this acquaintance, you've got to figure out a way to, you may not want to break it off because you've known them for a while, but you've got to put them in another, another cl closet, let's say, or drawer, um, and stay away from referring to them, even if they've been uh, a, a good client of yours. So yeah, and then, then you have to look at the assets that you have that maybe aren't performing as well. You're spending time and money for them and look at whether they can be built up, whether they should be built up, or whether, as Peter Drucker says, you cut them and, and move on with the money to something else. Yeah, uh, here's, 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 here's another example, and this kind of goes back to what, what I was saying, but um, it's still something that you know, has to do with misalignment. And I think this is where marketing becomes an issue. So I'm currently looking for a new place to live. And I've lived in the same place for eight years. But the reason I went out is because for eight years, there have been endless problems with the swimming pools here. I don't understand how it is they can't get their freaking act together over this. And I'm just tired <laughs> of beating my fist against the wall. So I've been looking at a number of properties. And um, I'm real close to the point as of when we're having our conversation. Who knows where I'll be by the time this uh, this is published or if somebody's listening to it a year from now, what my state of mind will be. But, uh, you know, looking at other properties and, you know, a few of the apartment management companies, their representatives who have given me tours and such have understood what I was looking for, but others will want to show me the units and uh and uh they'll want to they'll go on and on and on about how many cupboards are there and i'm thinking okay that's cupboards cool i can stick my can someplace whether the electric appliances are electric or gas it's like i really don't give a shit it's the same amount of money uh all i care about is there's an in-unit washer and dryer because i ain't doing that laundromat stuff uh they're telling me all these details about the counter surfaces and i'm just looking to make sure they're not cracked and they're going on and on and on and on and on about oh the, the trash compactor the the uh the 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 dishwasher all this stuff i'm not even going to use <laughs> and for me here's what i'm looking for here's what i want to know how many swimming pools do you have are they open 24 7 are they open now can i see them are they heated in the winter if your swimming pool goes down for more than a day on august 6th when it's 120 degrees out you, I know you have a, I, I know you have a sister property right down the road, a mile away. It's managed by your same company. Can we drive over there and use their pole? Has anyone been murdered here lately? Because I want to know if it's going to be safe for me coming home at night. Do you have something on the top floor? Because I want a top floor unit. Is there an electric outlet on the balcony so I don't have to run my cord through the door if I want to keep my laptop plugged in? Does the balcony have a carpet? If not, can I install my own? These are the things I want to know. As long as far as the interior. As long as it's relatively pleasant and there aren't cockroaches and centipedes, I'm good. Yeah, and, and you're, you're, you started out by, by explaining this as an alliance. How do you grow business, perhaps, in an alliance setting? Yeah. And, and people who look at that, you know, okay, so you can do a joint venture or you 
come up with some other legalized scheme. Oh yeah, are, 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 here are, we go. Are people, yeah, are people looking at you know what's the strength, the business strength that this new company or individual is bringing? Do they have the technology skills that you don't have? Um, what's the attractiveness of the industry? It, it's like you know, okay, if Nike is selling tennis shoes and socks together, that makes sense, but they're not going to sell tennis rackets and um, baseballs in the same package. So where are the things that really work and don't work? And then do you have an exit strategy? Suppose it doesn't work with this alliance or. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you're hitting me, you're hitting, you're hitting me where I live, but keep going. No, I was going to say, and you know, these issues too. I mean, what kind Mm -hmm. of transition planning do you do? And how do you explain what you're doing to your current customers or clients and uh, the prospects that you've been working with? And if you're in an industry, does this other organization have a good reputation? You were talking a minute ago about trying to avoid bad reputations uh, by other people. And um, how do you communicate? I mean, the range of things to consider in an alliance, even if it's not a, a legally structured one, let's say, yeah, it is yeah. where you want to market together and you're going to call on clients together. The, the, the opportunities are great. So are the risks. Yeah. Do you like cold pizza? No. Do you? I judge a pizza by how it tastes cold for breakfast in the morning. Okay. I sometimes, I've sometimes bought pizzas and just let them sit till the next day because I was thinking of them as cold pizza for breakfast. Here's why I bring up the analogy. Uh, we meet people, we go to seminars, conferences, we uh, speak on podcast interviews, we do those virtual coffee expeditions, what have you. Uh, yeah. But anyway, uh, and you hit it off with someone, you think, wow, this is someone who thinks just like me, we're totally in alignment on everything. And uh, let's do a joint venture together. But wait, now you want to think about due diligence. You want to think about everything that our, our listeners need to subscribe to this show and go back and listen to what Alan just said. All those factors you need to keep in mind before forming an alliance, including the potential exit strategy and how you are going to work together on sales calls, how you guys are going to work together on marketing. Um, are you completely merging your businesses or are you both doing just this one thing together? And if you're doing just this one thing together, what happens to the leads? Is it like a share and share alike uh, where you can each prospect them for your own respective businesses beyond that? Are you exchanging commissions? On and on and on and on and on. And you sometimes need a day or two to process that. And I think that that is one of the contributing factors why we have a major failure rate for early stage ventures. Is there anything else that I'm missing that causes that because I know the rate's very high. The, the rate just for for getting alliances, the failure rate for new startups is eighty percent. Yeah, and um, I've seen something recently, some study that says it's ninety percent. I'll stick with eighty percent. Okay. Um, you but, you you optimist you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can take categories, but for example, one of the things that I'm I'm pleased to see was the failure rate. Uh, it, this is one of the things we discuss in detail in, in the book, as you may know. Yeah. One of the, the larger failure rates used to be for women and minorities who started new businesses and uh, or startups and were trying to start businesses. And the failure rate was quite a bit higher and their access to capital was much lower than other people. And it's improved significantly. And one of the things we try to explain to people is it's not just the race and the color it's the product. And yeah. now that you feel more comfortable pushing the product or the service, and hopefully you've built up contacts over the, the years ahead or before, um, you can take advantage of those. And in fact, one of the things that came out in a, in a study that I saw, it's the, the national report on startups from 2012 to 2020. And you may have seen some of this too, is where I first saw the 80% failure rate is that more and more people are beginning to understand that spending money up to a point is okay, but at some point, stop your development and look around. And where where are the things that you can rely on? And do you have a, a group of people you can go to and, and market and help you market? So, it, you know, and, and you've got this concept you call the reach system where you can try to create more profitable customers. 
that's what we do in, in checking out my websites huh yeah i well, like sure. it i like it yeah yeah the re- yeah just to interject briefly the reach system is an overriding set of principles we have one current offering as of this uh, as of this recording, and that's the podcast reach system, which is our system for working with entrepreneurs like you to launch your podcast, your key networking client and attraction, you know, client attraction and celebrity expert branding tool. Um, we're about to launch social reach. And then after that, we're going to have list building reach. So we have three other, we have two other reaches that will be on the market before the end of the year. And how did we discover to go with those? All the feedback we got through 19 months of uh, marketing podcast reach. Yeah, so you're listening, and that's yeah. to me, listening to me, uh, and I have a whole chapter on this in, in, a, in Accelerating Revenue, is listening is the number one most important tool for salespeople, in my opinion. And, you know, we covered it earlier in this discussion to some degree, but you've got to be able to get to the information that you need. And um, the key to that is asking good questions. And so in preparing for the first contact, whether it's a, a call, it's a Zoom, it's a meeting at somebody's uh, industry association or chamber of commerce or, or whatever, is what are the questions you want to ask that are based on information that you've been able to gather that will get them talking? I, I think it was, I know both IBM and Xerox in their sales training say get your clients or your prospects talking at least 60% of the time. Yeah. And and that's so you can learn what their needs are and then begin to respond to those with your answers to questions about things you've been able to do or your products can do that will improve what they need and provide solutions whether they have actual problems. Right. Absolutely. So if startups do believe, after doing all of everything you described, that there is a market for their product or service idea, is there anything else they need to be thinking about? It, it's a wide range of, of things. First of all, how do they get exposure to the market? And whether it's, as we, we touched on a few minutes ago, some kind of joint ventures, whether they have to get more active in their, their community businesses or with chambers of commerce or Rotary or Kiwanis clubs or, or whatever yeah. they are, um, to, to get more recognition. And if they haven't done it before, that's really the next step. Because you know, if you know no one, you literally know no one. Right. <laughs> and uh, so that, that's part of it. And then you go to things like um, if, if you're in, in a setting where you're looking at the, you're in a leadership role, maybe you have a couple of people now that are working for you. What do you need to do to keep them motivated and contributing? And before you're even out selling, and you know this, you've got to have what we call a unique selling proposition. Yes. What is it that really distinguishes you and your product and your service that makes it different from everyone else? It's the USP. It's the differentiator. It's also called the takeaway. And it, the takeaway to me is if somebody remembers nothing else from your discussions, your Zooms, your in-person meetings, that's your unique selling proposition that describes yeah. what you want them to remember. And it's, it's like one step into an elevator message which is, you know, uh, again, how do you describe in, in 20 words or less what you can contribute? So, I mean, yeah. to me, just getting that USP done and understanding how to use it, and uh, it, it's another characteristic that's absolutely critical. Right, right, right. So, uh, you know, I've had a chance to skim your book. I, I It's on my reading list. Believe me, I, I, I love this thing so far. Um, now, you mentioned that there are myths about marketing and selling, and I think we might have already touched on a few of those. So what are some of the impacts on early stage ventures and startups that uh, are sometimes unseen until they creep up on you? Well, one of the um, rules that we have is try to get people to distinguish between, we talked about this earlier, to marketing and selling. Yeah. And one of the myths is that they're the same and they're not. Marketing, we, we have a key phrase that we try to help people remember to distinguish. That's find them, meet them, get them, and keep them. Find them and meet them is marketing. It's yeah. everything you do to get exposure, both whether it's in social media, in person, um, by advertising, by sending articles, by doing all kinds of things like that, giving speeches, 
and then get them and keep them is the selling, the sales position. And one of the things we cover in detail in, in the book, because we, we've tried to make parts of it a, a workbook, if you will, is here are the 14, I originally had 12 steps uh, to get a client. Uh, and somebody said, well, you don't want to have a 12 step program. Um, <laughs> So we expanded it to 14. And actually, it was a good thing somebody suggested it because the two steps we added are creative abandonment and then building relationships and keeping right. the relationships going. And that's one of the other mistakes or one of the other myths. Uh, and I learned this the hard way too. Somebody once told me, all you need is good results. And good results are necessary, but you can't go to a client or a prospect and say, here are results, you know, don't you want to join us? You've got to get back into the information that they need on how things work, where they have help, where they need help. Uh, and then it's also getting to know the people on an individual basis. So marketing and sales are not the same. And there are many ways, you know, people said, well, you know, marketing, you know, I can use the same same system, same tactic for everybody. There, you know this probably as well as I do, probably better. There oh, good goodness! I don't, I don't, I, I, my, my personal experience, no two are alike. You're absolutely right, and there are probably more than thirty different marketing tactics you can use, and you can use more than one of them on the same prospect. So whether yeah. you go from permission marketing to, to um, invisible marketing, whether you use social media or you use newsletters or whatever you're doing, you, it, there's a concept. Um, in the military, and it's it's called um, obtaining a target. And you don't yeah. look to obtain a target with just one tool that you have. And you also, as I said earlier, if something isn't working, you've got to look closely at it. If it's not working and you think you can improve it, then do it. If it continues to underperform or not perform, have the guts to scrap it and take that money and investment of time and find an ROI somewhere else. Yeah, certainly. And also, just because everybody's doing something doesn't mean that I have to do it myself. Uh, I, I have said many times that God gave me a face for radio. Uh, fortunately, he also <laughs> gave me the fortunately he also gave me the voice. So at least he was consistent in the attributes when he was handing them out. So. I don't want to do lots of live streams, or I don't want to be on TikTok, and I don't want to. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to have everything in my life be freaking video. I do have two podcasts. Uh, there's this one, the Business Creators Radio Show. And there's the other one called the Brilliance Plus Passion Project. Now, the latter that I just mentioned are very short 15-minute interviews. Uh, they actually are done using webcams. And mm -hmm. the purpose of those is actually, and I'm going to pull back the curtain for our listeners a little bit, although some have figured this out already, that... Those are my introductory conversations. So when I encounter people and they say, hey, man, you want to hop on a Zoom real quick? I'll say, I don't hop on Zoom. You want to drink virtual coffee? I don't drink real coffee. But what I will do is I would love, just love to have you on my podcast. Mm -hmm. and, that, and, that, and, uh, and so the actual experience is 30 minutes. So 15 minutes for the interview, and they answer 10 questions, which are given in advance. And the purpose of those questions is that actually, in addition to giving them a nice showpiece, they can show their friends and they can send it to their mom, who will finally know what they do for a living. Um, the answers to those questions give me insights to who they are as a person what motivates them, what it is that they will respond to as opposed to what they may say or think they want. And it gives me insights into, are they a prospective client? How are they a prospective client? How can I be of service to them? And then the other 15 minutes is time for us to chit chat. And if we decide that we want to go a little bit further, we schedule a follow-up call. So that's the purpose of that. Now, the Business Creators Radio Show, which you and I are on right now, this has been my podcast for almost nine years. We're closing in on, I believe, 600 episodes wow. and counting. And, uh, and you may recall when you got your instructions after you booked our conversation that uh, the first thing we told you is that uh, this is audio only. You can turn your camera off and drink whatever you want. Remember that? I do. Yes, you do. The reason for that is this is more of a mastermind format where, yeah, you you and your agent gave us the talking points and the points you want to bring up in the conversation. We're actually systematically working through those now. But 
this is also an opportunity for us to bounce ideas off each other and to share stories, examples, have it be entertaining. And if I'm going to do that for 45 minutes to an hour, I don't want to be holding my media pose and, and worrying about my background. And I don't want to be bugged if your Wi-Fi is a little off today and your face looks a little bit fuzzy. Uh, this is a chance for us to kick back and, uh, and uh, chew the fat, so to speak. And that's that. And, and also, when you say things that really inspire me, it's not going to really look very good on camera if I stand up and walk around doing the raise the roof gesture, which in your case, I've already done twice. Oh, OK. Well, yeah. And, and, and what you're talking about is maintaining those relationships with customers or even with prospects that you haven't closed on. Yeah. So I, I often tell people if you can convert 10 percent of the no's over the next year or two to a yes. Number one, that revenue goes right to your ROI because you've already invested the time in selling to them. And they've invested the time and people don't understand this until you say it. They've Long game. The, yeah, they've invested Long game, the time yes. listening to you. And I have gotten almost all of my clients for podcast reach through Long Game. Um, mm-hmm. I, think there, I think there's only one case where they said yes after our first conversation. Um, in one case, it took me six months. In another case, it took me... 14 months, but I knew that I could help them. I knew that I would really enjoy working with them. I knew I would resonate with their message. I knew the stuff that they were doing was Mm -hmm. something that would wake me up in the morning without needing an alarm clock. And I was dedicated to getting them as clients and to helping them serve from their intersection, their brilliance and their passion. And to me, it was worth it. Well, Chad Holmes, who is a friend of mine, worked with uh, Tony Robbins for many years. And they have a book book came out a couple years ago I think it was called business breakthroughs and in the research they found that 80 percent of the time you needed to have at least five contacts up to eight contacts but at least five times in order to get new business correct and and the contacts are not that difficult to maintain if you're working with a client obviously you're you're talking with them you're seeing them you're working on their implementation or whatever it is Um, but just sending somebody, if I see an article now that I think uh, would be of interest to you, um, I'll send it to you. That's a contact. Yeah. And it also lets you know, I'm thinking about you. Right. And, you know, I remember the Groundhog Day. I have a great story that I have in the book about Groundhog Day. Oh, and- yes, yes. Uh, and I would and I would love to hear and I'd love to hear that story. May I ask you for that story now? Yes. Um, man is is walking by. Every day on his way to work, there's a very tall wooden wall. And on the other side of it is a mental institution. And he walks by every day on his way to work. And he hears every morning, 13, 13, 13, 13. 13, Yeah. Like Groundhog, repeating every day he hears 13, 13, 13. And he walks by every day this wooden wall. And one one morning he decides, you know, I want to know what's going on. So he walks down the wall and he finds a keyhole. And he sticks his eye in to look inside and somebody pokes him in the eye. 14, 14, 14, 14, 14. That's what he starts hearing. So he suddenly realized that he was kind of like a scapegoat doing the same thing. They're doing the same thing over and over until something changes that draws their attention and gets their attraction. Right. So, yeah, right. Precisely. it kind of makes the point. You can't be doing the same things over and over. We were talking about that before, you, you and I both, that you need to customize your approaches. And even with the same prospect or client, you may find that you want to change how you approach or how you change your overall marketing, what you emphasize, whether you use social media more than uh, speeches or writing articles or whatever to, to balance everything out, uh, to keep it fresh and, and attracting people, not just boring them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, one of the uh, you know, one of the lessons behind the uh, the Groundhog Day project, Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy, uh, which is my book, is the idea of creating a theme around common business principles. So, if you've looked at it even surface level, you mm-hmm. would be aware that the book is based on what's called the Spring Formula for business growth, which covers six areas of business development. Right. Uh, the title of the book comes from me having had uh, one of my coaching sessions with my business coach, because all great coaches have coaches. And 
I told him that I've already written all these articles. I have it basically put together in a manuscript. Uh, But what I'm looking for is why would somebody read this? And he just let me go on, uh, explored my mind process. And then I said, and you know what I've noticed is, and this has been the case in my business with a lot of my clients, it's like a month will go by, a year will go by. And we're still having the same conversations about the same problems. Uh, Even the solutions have been identified. And then there's a question of why haven't we done this yet? And, uh, And I've also seen people have really good years. They launch a product or service and it makes a big change in their bottom line for a while. And then fast forward about six months and there they are again on that same plateau with that same percentage and sometimes even dollar amounts of profitability or lack thereof. And I said, you know, for some of these folks, it's like that movie Groundhog Day, except in hell. And he said, that's it. Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy. And that's what your subject is. That's the title. And then, yeah. And then, and then there's one more thing to it. So this uh, conversation happened, I think in like April or May of 2017. Well, I didn't get back to the project until, well, about six, eight months later. So now we we are about January 8th. 2018 and i'm thinking okay well i have groundhog event groundhog day is an event not a business strategy i have this book and what am i going to do groundhog day is like three weeks away and if something's called groundhog day there's really only one day the year that you're going to launch that thing it's going to be february 2nd uh and uh i'm thinking all right i have two choices here one of which is i wait another year because there's no way or b is I get this done a little later in the year, but then I change the title and I change the theme, and it may or may not be something that's as resonant either for me or for my audience. And if it doesn't resonate for me, it's not going to resonate for my audience the same way. So what did I do? I uh, looked to Sir Richard Branson. Screw right. it. Let's screw it. Let's do it. I cleared about four days off my calendar. I immersed myself into plant into weaving that story of how groundhog behavior influences business success, creating the transitions. And there are other pieces. I'm not going to belabor them for our conversation, but uh, we did get that thing uploaded to Amazon and available for sale in time. I did round up my people to buy the 99 cent Kindle version and Dagnabbit on February 2nd, we got our international Amazon bestseller badge in three countries on two categories. That's, that's really great. We're about to launch our, uh, 99 cent strategy. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and see back in those days, that's uh, those were during the days of those were during the days of pump and dump when it came to creating bestsellers, you got the badge quickly, then you edited the book cover to put the badge on it, and then you sold it again. Uh, so what Amazon does now, and you're you know, pretty familiar with this, you work with a publishing company, you've heard this before, is they tend to favor books that demonstrates saleability over time, that can become bestsellers more than once, or even if they never achieve international Amazon bestseller, they still rank well consistently. So, you know, you have, you had the book out, I think it was in August and, uh, and now you're doing this 99 cent strategy and you probably have other things that you're going to be doing in conjunction with your publishing company and, and uh, things you're going to be doing on your own. They're going to keep this thing, flowing and amazon's reason behind us are very or they're very transparent about it they were aware for years that people were doing pump and dump and they actually supported that because it got lots of books on their platform and then they looked at it and they said well we make our money when people shop till they drop on amazon so we want the, we want to favor authors who keep bringing people to Amazon because when they buy, because when they buy that author's book, they might also buy their cat food while they're there and just put it all in one shipment. (laughs) So that's, yeah, well, that's, that's basically, that's basically what it is. Cause think about with, with Amazon's ability to do same day delivery and next day delivery, you may be thinking, you know what? I'm already here. I already got my debit card out. Might as well get the cat food. Might as well get the, uh, the new lamp I was going to buy and might as well get those new bed sheets while you download this Kindle book. And now, and I'll sit here and read it while I wait for them to bring it to my door. Well, what, what's interesting about that too, is um, in looking for different ways to do things, uh, and you may or may not have gotten to this yet, but we've put a lot of cartoons in the book. Okay. And, and the reason is we, I found in speaking over many years that putting in humor, and I don't mean jokes, but humor, 
Um, really, uh, there's an emergency, but ignore the damn it. Um, <laughs> they're they're doing testing. I'm sorry if it keeps up, but anyway, yeah. Um, the we put because retention seems to grow with humor, and so in in for example in in the the, the chapter where. Uh, we're talking about leadership and people are claiming, oh, I can't sell. I don't know how to sell. Nothing I'm doing is working or I'm very busy. I don't have time. You know, the typical excuses, it really makes those excuses hopefully look silly to people that read them. And this applies to entrepreneurs because as you know, and I certainly know it too, you can get just so dead tired. Uh, you, you need some little pick-me-up. And, and what I've always done is I've gone to the funny papers and I, you know, it just seems to relax me. And so we've developed these cartoons and uh, they, and, and you mentioned that uh, one of the, the first things we have in our book is also from Sir Richard Branson, who you mentioned, and we've converted it to a cartoon in the book, but that is opportunities are like buses. If you miss one, another one will be coming along. And I always add to that, if you keep your eyes open. And so we, we have a cartoon in there where it's the initial quote with a, a kind of a, a guy and a gal kind of, you know, not seeming to, to be working too hard. And all of a sudden, the third guy stands up as, you know, his eyes are open. So it's a, it's a theme that we try to keep going. You've got to be out there looking for opportunities. And one of the ways we try to reinforce that in, in this um, this book, this marketing book on, on revenue acceleration is how do you keep your eyes open? What are the things you look for? What do you need to do? When do you take time? It's, it's so tough when you're developing a new product or service to take time and look at, at just what's going on in the real world that you might be able to, number one, relax and learn. But number two, it might help you uh, find something that, that will grow what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, you're you're absolutely right about that. And you know, cartoons and and memes have a way of communicating in some cases more than uh, long soliloquies do, uh, because what it does is it creates an image that mm -hmm. people can visually relate to, and they can say, "Oh, yeah, yeah, I I know, been there, done that." Yeah, in a way and that uh, in a way that reading a, a paragraph of black text on a white page doesn't always do so you have cartoons you have mimetic marketing and yep. these are and these are very very effective so yeah and and that's and that's another thing about books when i designed the groundhog book uh it has large text it has chapters it has subsections the table of contents is five pages long because we identify each one of the 70 some stories by name within the S-P-R-I-N-G of the spring formula so that people can jump to whatever relates to them most of the moment and then build from there. Well, uh, we, must, we must have taken lessons from you because our index is uh, four pages, but it has yeah. the sub-chapters and the sub-headlines. Exactly. Plus, yeah, we have in the back, there's a list of lists. We've got 52 lists of things that people can research and go back to, uh, it's an easy find kind of a thing. So if they're thinking about, um, let, let's say they're, they're gonna practice their speaking uh, before they go on a pitch, how do you practice it? What do you say? Um, what are the things you should emphasize? And then there's a list to cover that. And you yeah. know, it, it, it's like in your book, you distinguish what's, what's available and how to, where to get to it. So people can read it once, let's say, and then remember to go back and find something they saw when they need it. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. And, and again, that's and to me, that's what that what makes books skimmable. And also uh, in my book, almost almost every sentence is its own paragraph. And I was told, oh, but no, no, that's not how books are done. They have these <laughs> they, they, they have long paragraphs and they use and they use 10 point times New Roman, whereas I think I used uh, 14 pixel. I don't I think it was like Garamond or something. I can't remember exactly, but we definitely do not use Times New Roman because I won't touch Times New Roman with a 35 foot, foot pole. I compromised on it being a serif font. I wanted to go sans serif, but uh, I compromised on that. Uh, but the but the point but the point being is it has almost innate skimmability. So your book with the table of contents, with the lists, with the cartoons, it has the pattern interrupts 
that allow people to refocus on the content. And remember when we were in college and we did our assigned reading because there might be a quiz in class the next day and uh, you had to read chapter seven and you mm-hmm. got to the end of chapter seven, you thought, I don't remember a word I just read. <laughs> do you remember Do you remember uh, knowing you had to read chapter seven in case there was a quiz on it and oh, have it read by Thursday morning and you open up and you open up your textbook and you see, okay, so chapter seven is 21 pages long and you flip through it and you see nothing but extremely long paragraphs and tiny texts. Did you already feel tired and confused? I, I, I felt I'd never learn anything again. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, and I, th- I think reeling this back to marketing and sales, it's a matter of pacing the, the branding, pacing the prospect journey, pacing the customer journey. And what I see, particularly when it comes with some startups and what have you, is uh, they just want to barrel straight through. And I'm a big proponent of get an offer out there as quickly as possible because nobody's, you're not going to get any feedback in the market like you're going to get from putting something out there, asking people to buy it, and then seeing A, if and when they actually buy it, B, who buys it, and C, what do they think of it once they bought it? When I launched the podcast reach system, I started with two reachers and I put them in a VIP level at an introductory rate. They're my two charter members. So Tony and Victoria, you know who you are. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, they, they are amazing clients to me, not only because we did great work and they're doing great things with their podcast now, uh, but also because of what we learned through the experience that enabled me to go back to my original model for podcast reach. And I found, I think, about 30 or 40 different ways to further optimize it and also shorten the time to delivery simply through the experience of getting hands-on with it. Now, you're not going to get there by doing 25 team retreats, um, having 45 different conference calls where you go over the same PowerPoint over and over again and debate what uh, the fourth bullet point on slide seven is. Yeah, and you were talking about phasing a minute ago. Yeah. Um, and and that really, if, if people get organized to where they look at the most important things, even by week, and phase how much time they're going to spend. We, we actually have uh, something called the accelerator funnel, which is focused on where your leads come from. They come from clients or customers, whatever you're dealing with, from referrals and from prospects. And we suggest that you you develop a list, each one of those three topics, a client or prospect, referrals, and referrals. A lot of people don't realize referrals go two ways. You may make a referral to your client. You may also ask for one if they would give you a referral. And that's another thing that that people just overlook. But anyway, if you you were to take and list under the, the client, the referral, and the prospect, let's assume everybody that might be in that system for now, and it might only be nine people, it may be 50. But then you take the top group from each of those three lists and you take the top 10 from that. And okay, those are the people you put at the top of your funnel. And that's what you work on that week in terms of selling and marketing. And and you know, if you reach somebody and you have a follow-up call set or you're going to get a meeting. Great. You move that into the lead section of the tunnel as it's narrowing down, getting closer to getting business, and you add somebody else at the top. And by simplifying that, it's it's not an automated uh, CRM, but it's a fairly simple way, especially for new businesses and startups, to manage their marketing and sales when they get to it. And uh, it, it really seems to help. We've, we've used that in something similar with our clients in the past. Uh, and the only key ingredient to it is accountability. And that is we, we hold people accountable when they make a commitment. Yeah, I'm going to make those two calls this week and I'm going to set up a lunch with so-and-so. When we're dealing with them, we remind them of that halfway through. If we're working you know, month by month, we'll, we'll remind them halfway through, have you done those things? And we, <laughs> my partner, who's uh, we were talking earlier, he's not a finance partner, but we, we market and sell together and he sells his services and brings me in and I sell mine and bring his in. But the deal is we offer people the opportunity to to take advantage of our calling them back, but they call us both mentors and tormentors. 
And I really like the tormentor role, and you probably see it too, how necessary it is to remind people, hey, you've made a commitment, do it. And if it's unbearable or if it's not producing, change how you're doing it. And if that doesn't work, drop it. And, you know, all of it comes down to holding people accountable uh, for what they do, including holding myself accountable when I've set targets and, and uh, new uh, developments that I'm working on. It, it's the only way I think to do it is you've got to hold yourself accountable and then you can hold others accountable for what they've committed to doing. Yeah, and that actually is kind of where I was going to go next. Um, so we're getting close to wrapping up here. Is um, a, a, it is important to keep track of prospects and leads, and it's also important to keep it simple in the beginning. So you just described a pretty simple way of doing it. So you know, when when one moves down, another one moves up is one example you gave that I really liked, and I also saw that we're not really talking about stopping to make sure we have our technology completely perfect it's more an idea of uh, get your list and start working your list and right. uh late and, and later on you can uh, build the crm and everything else you need you need to do but the important thing is to get out there and make it happen and wouldn't it be lucky if you have to adopt or, or put in place a crm that's really sophisticated because what that means is you're becoming successful Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, working with uh, companies uh, myself as they move from uh, from they move from uh, solopreneurial startup to leverage entrepreneurial venture, that's a big thing that comes up. Is well, what project management should we use? Because you know, you got Monday, Asana, Teamwork, and thirty others. I'm not thinking of right now. And then they'll stop and oh, let's do research and have people attend informational webinars and do powerpoints and then have meetings about this. Okay, this right. is real. Okay, let me break this down for you. This is really simple. What do you need to track now? What do you believe you'll need to track in six months? What system does that for you? And how do we pick a system that people are going to enjoy and have fun using? And number four is the most critical. And it's for a very simple reason people are emotional creatures and they are what they are. If the use of the system is something that's tedious, debilitating, boring, add steps that they don't feel they need. They're just not going to do it. You're going to get the chaos from it not being done. And then you're going to have your people come to you saying, hey, you know what? I'm doing the work for you. I'm not using your system. So you're going to fire me? Yeah. <laughs> and then once you have that in your culture, oh, boy, you screwed. Well, it, it, it... You may have seen it. We have a QR code right in front of the book, which downloads this uh, simple graphic funnel. And that's what yes. it is. And I keep it on my desk. I, as, as I'm i using pencil and pen and I write in, I cross out, I drop the names. And I've gone through two or three in the last couple of months. And it's a very simple, easy way. And because it's visual, uh, you can always see it. You can check it every day to make sure you're on track. If you forget somebody or something pops up and takes some time, you make sure you collect it and finish it by the end of the week. And and just the sense of knowing, I mean, if I had only five contacts I was going to pursue a week, I would be fine with that because I would knew, know from experience and, and trying different approaches what works and doesn't work. And so I'll, I'll reach maybe two out of the five initially. But after a couple of weeks, I'll have gotten to them all. And either we've got follow-on meetings to discuss a new service, or uh, we're going to invite them to come to a, a charity event that I'm contributing to or w whatever it is, it, it's all there. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we are actually pretty much at the top of the hour. And uh, what I want, what I want our listeners to do is visit Alan's website. It's www.closersgroup.com. And that's where you're going to see uh, the work that Alan and his team do. Uh Depending on when you're listening to this, you may or may not see an introductory video that shows a cheetah running through the wild, and uh, you may and you may see uh, the opportunity right there on the front page of that site to pick up your copy of the Revenue Accelerator book. And I urge you to do it right now. I've already got my copy. I'm going to be reading it in depth myself. And as you scroll through the page, you'll see the accelerator funnel that we actually just alluded to. And you'll find some other great resources as well. And if you find yourself leaning in 
deciding that this is something that you yourself would like to explore further, if you'd like to have a direct conversation with Alan Coleman, go ahead and do so. He makes it very easy for you to connect with him. Just tell him that you heard about him on the Business Creators radio show, and you think that I'm the funniest sit-down comic you've ever heard. And with that, <laughs> Dr. Alan Coleman, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor, believe me, in education. And Adam, it's a pleasure. Thank you, and, and enjoy the best of the week. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.